again, thank you for joining us this special Sunday. Normally, we, are, we work our way through a book of the Bible, but since this is our, a special time, um, the message is about the resurrection and what it means to us. And I'm going to be um, preaching from Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14. It's not a usual um, resurrection Easter message, but uh, the men's group just happened to be in this passage, and I don't take anything as a coincidence. I see everything as a God incidence. And so I, as I was going studying for the class that we're having, um, I just thought, wow, this is perfect for this Sunday and for the meaning behind resurrection. And, and Jory did a perfect introduction for it. I always love the way God orchestrates uh, the whoever does the call to worship and the message he puts on their heart with, with God's message for the main message of, the, of Sunday. So I'm going to be reading Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And if you would stand with me in honor of God's word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteous, for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as the instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law, but under grace. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. The book of Romans was God's instrument um, in a number of the great men of God in the church's history, transforming them early into some of our spiritual giants of the past. And millions of people have been touched and transformed by this, this book, the book of Romans. And Paul, in, in these, this section of Romans, so just clearly lays out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what the resurrection is supposed to mean to us. Friday evening, we considered the prophecies describing the death of the coming Messiah. We read of his night in the pit there in Caiaphas' um, compound, the forsaking uh, 
his disciples forsaking him, alone in the darkness, knowing what was coming the next day. And we also read of the prophecies of him being beaten beyond recognition, the stripes on his back, his hands and feet pierced, his bones out of joint, bearing our sins as he suffered on the cross. But we ended with this enigmatic promise that's the beginning of the last suffering servant song that said that he will sprinkle many nations, pointing to the new covenant in his blood that would save us from judgment. The apostle Paul takes us on that, from that horrible heart-wrenching scene to the miracle working of grace that it brings to everyone who will receive it. Imagine the disciples in that upper room. We talked about this at the sunrise service, debating whether they should try to sneak out of Jerusalem to save their lives, to escape being rounded up and crucified. Were they debating the meaning of it all, trying to recall the things that Jesus said and trying to make sense of it? Or were they just dejected and trying to plan how they might escape the city? None of them were at the tomb that morning, that Sabbath morning, uh, the morning after the Sabbath. It was only the women who came to the tomb. And they didn't come because of the belief in what Jesus said that he would rise for three days. They came to anoint his body so the stench of decay wouldn't bother them to come visit him in the future. But even when the w women returned with the news that the angels had said Jesus had risen, the men didn't believe it. I can hardly blame them. Uh, after seeing the condition of Jesus' body after the crucifixion, Jesus raised three people from death, but how could he raise himself from the dead? They didn't realize that God the Father would raise him up. In that dark room behind its locked door, they debated about what to do, and when suddenly Jesus appeared in their midst and greeted them. Shalom. It was a common greeting, but now it takes on a whole new, richer meaning. Peace with God. I imagine them mouths wide open, eyes wondering what they were seeing was real. And to help them believe what they were seeing, Jesus asked for something to eat and ate a broiled fish in their presence and showed them the holes in his hands and feet. And their hearts slowly went from dejection to elation. It was true. He rose after three days. He is the victor over death itself. That is so much more than the Messiah they were expecting. Just as God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, Jesus had gone way beyond their greatest hopes. They couldn't possibly have comprehended all the res resurrection would mean for them and for their futures. That dejection and disappointment, even depression the disciples felt before Jesus appeared we also feel to an extent before we come to Jesus for a new life. As Paul explained in Romans chapter seven, the good he wanted to do, he just couldn't do. And that which he wanted to do, he just couldn't see himself fulfilling. He realized the dominating power of sin 
over his life. And it caused him to cry out in desperation, who will deliver me from this body of death? He goes on in chapter 8 to explain how that deliverance works in our lives. And I would encourage you to take time to just go through Romans chapter 8 that, ex that talks about the newness of life and how we should be experiencing resurrected life. But today we're going to look at the whole foundation of it all, which is in chapter 6 that I just read. Verses 1 and 2 again. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul had explained that our salvation is only by believing faith in God. God's grace accepts what Jesus did on our behalf when we believe. So it was natural to ask then, well, what's to keep us from continuing to live a sinful life? But Paul responds to his own question by saying that when we believe, we die to sin, so we can't go on living in it. That doesn't mean that temptation won't challenge us or that we won't stumble, but we live in Christ. Living in Christ means the desire to be obedient comes from the heart. We live in sin or we live in Christ, one or the other. And Paul goes on to explain how this death to sin came about. Verse three, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Paul's not talking about the ritual of baptism, although the baptism, the ritual of baptism perfectly demonstrates this. He's using the word it was, as it was used in his day. The word was used to describe uh, material being dipped into dye immersed in it, saturated with it. In other words, to be baptized means to be dipped into Jesus, to be saturated with him. The all of us that Paul's addressing are those who've received Jesus, the one who took our sins upon himself and the punishment our sins deserve. That's to be baptized into his death. He's now the Lord of our lives. We are immersed in and saturated with Jesus, and he is our life. We associated the death of our old selves, that sinful self that couldn't break free with the death of Jesus. And we accept the fact that our old sinful nature has died as Jesus suffered and died. Verse four, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Immersed into Jesus' death is for the purpose of becoming a new creation in Jesus. And the result is that we are raised with Jesus to the glory of the Father to live a new life. It's what Jesus described to Nicodemus as being born again. We are transformed by the resurrection power that raised Jesus so that we can live as a disciple of Jesus. Verse five, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This immersion into Jesus' death means resurrected life is certain to follow. 
The ritual of baptism is a declaration, or we could say it's a confession by the one that is baptized that they have immersed themselves into Christ and are being transformed by the very power that raised Jesus. It's something Jesus asked us to do, to declare the, to the world what God has done for us. It's like acting out a drama that pictures what has taken place in our lives. Today after the service, some of us are going down to the creek and they're going to make this confession. When we are united with him, we should be like him, increasingly like him. When you immerse yourself into Jesus, a process of transformation begins in your life. You begin growing spiritually and acting and thinking differently because of the resurrection that power that's at work within us. But the ultimate fulfillment of this, of course, happens at the last trumpet when Christ returns and our spirits receive our eternal bodies. Verse six, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer live enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Why was our old self crucified with Christ? Why would we choose to do that? Well, for most of us, we found the emptiness of carnal pleasures. We tried to fulfill that emptiness that we have in our hearts, but found it always required more and more to get this fleeting sense of satisfaction. For others, the love of Christ drew us and we opened our hearts to his love. Conviction made us recognize our need for forgiveness. We wanted to see an end of the vain efforts to be good. Like Paul, we realized our good deeds were getting us nowhere. We wanted all that God had for us in Jesus. We saw that he, his love and sacrifice was worthy of our all. In both cases, we were desperate for our body of sin to be brought to nothing. We wanted freedom from the enslavement of sin. Death was the only answer, but not death to the physical body, but death to the old spiritual nature, the old soul of us. One time a, a pastor's daughter uh, debated me about whether sin had its source in the body or in the soul. She insisted it's the body and I insisted, it's the soul. <laughs> Our bodies don't make us sin. Our physical body itself isn't selfish. It's just a tool. It's the house of the soul. It's our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions that needs to be transformed. It's the soul that directs the body to do good or evil, as we'll see in the following verses. It's the soul that has to die and be reborn. My thoughts need to be conformed to the mind of Christ. My will needs to be surrendered to the will of God. And my emotions need to respond to God, not to circumstances that constantly change. It's the soul that must be crucified with Christ if we are to live a new life. How can you be any different if you think just as you've always thought? If you have the same desires you've always had, and the same feelings. Our personality's the same, but what motivates it and empowers it is replaced. 
If you would follow Christ, it must begin at the cross where you find forgiveness and in response, put your old life there with Jesus in his death. And that begins our new resurrected life. Without the crucifixion, there's no resurrection. People wonder why they don't have the power to be free from habitual sin. It's because they never died with Jesus. They're clinging to their old mindset and desires. Verse 8, now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. This is repeating the fact that death with Christ to our old nature means living with Jesus every day, not live with him someday when we die. I think it's repeated because we so often trust in religious routines rather than a personal relationship with Jesus. Are you living with Jesus every day? Paul even said the life he lives each day is Christ who lives in him. That's where we all want to get, isn't it? Today is Christ in me. But what he said just prior to that declaration is that he's been crucified with Christ. The one follows the other. Death with Jesus on the cross means life with Jesus now. Verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. You see, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus was sinless, but he voluntarily took on the sins of the world and the punishment for those sins. He died for our sins, and he has no sins of his own to die for. He took our sins' wages, and God raised him from the dead so he cannot die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. He died one time for all sins of all people, but now he lives to God. That's the pattern. When we immerse ourselves into him, we follow that same pattern. As the next verse points out, verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this is what Resurrection Sunday is all about. This should be our daily declaration. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That would be a great thing to wake up with every morning, wouldn't it? I consider myself dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. Jesus died to save our souls from judgment so that we could be with him for all eternity. But resurrection power doesn't begin to work in us when we die physically. It begins when we come to the cross. Resurrection life is for this life as well. You know, some people say, I've often heard it said, Christianity is just pie in the sky. In other words, live this strict life now for the possibility of having joy in heaven later. But that totally misses the point, the biblical point of resurrection. Resurrection is life now and forever. Real living isn't drugs or sensual pleasure or wealth or security or fame. Real living is joy unspeakable and full of glory in Christ now free from driving slavery of, of sin that destroys us. It's finding the wonderful plan of God for our lives. 
It does come with sacrifice and hard work. So does every life. But it's infinitely better than living in for vanity and finding our life was not only meaningless, but rebellion against the very one who created us, who loves us, and who gave himself for us. To those who have died with Christ, Paul tells to count ourselves dead to sin. And that means that while we still sin, we consider ourselves dead to it. It won't enslave us. Know that it doesn't have the power that it used to have. We're free. We're alive to God. We can hear his voice in the word. We can follow the leading of his Holy Spirit. We are part of the kingdom of God, and we're allowing Jesus to do in us things that last forever. Our life has just begun, and it has eternal significance. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. When we consider ourselves dead to sin, it should no longer reign over our bodies. Its passions once controlled our thoughts, our actions, but we can now refuse to let that be the case. This also means we can re revert to that life if we give in to temptation, but we've been crucified with Christ. We'll no longer find the same pleasure we once did, and we'll be remorseful that we grieved the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We now realize sin's promises are deceptive and costly. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Once we had no choice, we were all slaves to sin. We thought a selfish life is just normal for us humans. Our senses were to be pleased in any way we thought acceptable, and in secret ways we even knew were unacceptable. Our bodies were yielded as, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. The mindset, desires, is what dies with Jesus in his crucifixion. And now we present our hearts, our minds, and desires that have been brought from death to life to Jesus for his use. Our bodies become instruments of righteousness for his purposes. Our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our legs, our mind, our heart, all belong to God. We were purchased from the slave market of sin. Do not surrender your bodies to sin. Live as resurrected people and dedicate your parts of your Bodies as instruments of righteousness. Sin does not have to dominate you. When temptations come and it will come, we must often remind ourselves that our old nature died with Christ. We must affirm to ourselves that we live in newness of life. We have resurrected power. Sin doesn't have dominion over us. Jesus does. His life in us is. Verse 14. For sin will not have dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under grace. Not continuing in sin, but glorifying God with our bodies is the result of grace. Earlier in the book of Romans and in the next chapter, Paul explains that the laws of God do not offer a way to be righteous. They only show us how fallen we are and how much we need a Savior. If anything, they make us more guilty because... Knowing what God demands, we still choose to disobey, which is rebellion. 
But the grace of God came to us in Jesus' perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection. And that grace came to us when we were dominated by sin, living as enemies of God, and it offered us salvation, placing our sins upon Jesus and giving us his righteousness. As the song we sing declares, oh, what a savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Resurrection Sunday should remind us of the the power God is willing to apply to our lives to see that we are transformed into the likeness of Christ. Yielding our bodies as instruments of righteousness, not someday when we die or when he returns, but right now. Jesus wants to touch the world through us. What a thought. The creator of the universe wants to live in us and touch others with his love through us. And it all begins at the cross. Are you willing to have your old self crucified with Christ? To let go of those old things that dominated you? Are you willing to die daily and let Christ be your life? When we proclaim the gospel as only saving us from judgment, we're only telling part of the story. The good news of the gospel is resurrection power in our lives today. Are we applying that power throughout our day? Are we immersed in and saturated with Christ? That's the effect resurrection should have on each of us every day. Amen? Amen. That is the message of resurrection. Life now in Jesus. Amen. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for each one that's come this morning. I pray that your word from Romans chapter 6 stirs in our hearts that we come to the cross and make that great exchange and then every day consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to you in your son, Christ Jesus. Lord, help us live that. I just sense that there's many that are thinking, it's impossible, I've tried. But Lord, take us back to the cross. Help us put the old self there, count it done, and go forward with you. Filled with the Holy Spirit to newness of life, resurrected life. Thank you for the promise that that resurrection resurrection power that raised Jesus is at work in us. Not might be or could be, but it is at work in us. We thank you for what you're doing, Lord, in our hearts, in our minds, changing us day by day. Help us keep drawing near to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.